Luke, what got you into gambling? I think the environment initially, um, you know, young man around a lot of other men that enjoyed the punt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being involved in footy clubs and, you know, it was just a, a common thing for, for people to just have a punt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just started started doing it. I had a beard when I was 16, so it was pretty <laughs> easy to get into venues and do it. Um, so you started going to the TAB then? Yeah, so I was, I was going to the TAB quite a bit, or well, whenever I could. I mean, I didn't have heap, heaps of money back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was going as much as I could. And yeah, I didn't really get in into the online stuff until later. What but, were you betting on? Oh, anything. Yeah. Anything. It, it started with go to the TAB and, and bet on horses. Loved the sports moldies. Yeah, just loved betting on absolutely anything that was on. And were you with your mates initially, or were you going by yourself a lot straight away? Uh, a bit of both. I think mates initially. You def- liked it a bit more than they did. Yeah, just a little bit. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so with them with them initially, but then once they'd had enough, I'd stick around by myself um, yeah. and just yeah, go in go in as much as I could by myself, and it was, a, it was a time filler for me. So what was the first big win for you? First big win that I can recall was I went in Friday night, uh, went to put on just 20 bucks footy multi, right? And put on a few different bets and, and one of them bounced back at, I went to put two different things within the same game. Couldn't do that back then, but they make it happen now. So anyway, five bucks came back to me and I thought, well, I've already committed to spending this. So I just looked up top right and I can, I can visualize this so clearly now. Um, a horse race about to jump in a couple of minutes in WA and there's 20 horses running. So I just picked one of the favourites and two of the ones paying 100 bucks or something um, in a trifecta and sure enough, one, two, three. Bang. Right. So from that five bucks, I yeah, I think I won about four or five grand. Um, How old were you then? 17. Yep. Okay, so you were you were a king for a day then, big time. King for a day, and that's about as long as it lived because I remember I didn't want to tell anyone. Like I, I, I told a couple of mates about it, mm-hmm. um, but I hid. I remember hiding the tickets so they couldn't give me all the money. They didn't have it, so I had to get it out over a, a couple of days. Um, and I hid the tickets in my top drawer because I was living with um, dad and my stepmom. So yep. I hid it because I was ashamed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and you can't let them know about that because. You know, if you if you're winning money, people are going to ask questions about it straight away. And for sure, um, obviously, that was probably the you might not have recognised at the time, but that was the start of developing a habit because you're hiding it. Hundred yeah. percent. Like I was, I was so so ashamed and felt so guilty about how I had won it that I couldn't I couldn't share um, the joy and the exhilaration in actually winning it. Um, that's how low I felt of the act. Yeah, and and that was at that age. But it was a high, obviously. It was a high, I think, the excitement about what I could do with the money. Um, what did you do with it? Well, I, I, the, only, the only positive thing I remember doing was I always used to get my car rego for three months, but I remember getting 12 months rego, and I thought that was a huge <laughs> achievement. You know? I was so wrapped with that, but honestly, the rest of the money would have gone back straight back into the TAB. Yeah. And lo and behold, you weren't actually a magic punter. No, <laughs> you just got real lucky. <laughs> I, I got lucky, obviously. Yeah. You know, I just picked three numbers. Yeah, and yeah. and I certainly was not a magic punter. But but that's the thing with it, isn't it? Everyone's going to get lucky once, mm. and often it happens early on, and mm. then you're convinced straight away, like, oh yeah, this is pretty yeah. good. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I must be good at it for sure. And then uh, can take a whole lot of actually reminding yourself that you're not before you figure out figure that out and sometimes you like you never do um were you already struggling with your mental health at that point um i looking back now i can i can recall that there were certainly experiences that i had developed patterns around but back then i, I wasn't aware that i had any issues um with my mental health or that i had any barriers or blocks or, or anything like that i was just completely unaware of it yeah yeah okay so how did it progress from there because you're still at school at this point uh yeah so like i i left school at the age of i, I finished year 11 so i would have been what's that 16 17 whatever yeah. it was um i just wanted to play afl footy so all my time and energy was going into training and um trying to trying to make it into the afl um so yeah at that point like 
the gambling was still happening um, with any money that I had. It was going to that and pretty much any time away from training, playing with friends was spending um, time gambling. And I didn't really realize that that was a problem until I started getting into to some pretty severe debt, um, doing acts like you know, borrowing money from people and then blowing it, but thinking that I'd be able to pay them back with wins and then having to own up. Like this, that stuff started to eat away at mm. me and, and started to build a lot of shame and guilt. Because um, that starts to change who you are as a person. Yeah. Or your own view of yourself For as sure. well. Because you obviously, um, you're not a bad person, never were. But you have your own morals. It must feel like, ah, oh, I'm becoming something else. Yeah, for sure. And, hated myself who are you borrowing money from anyone anyone like started with you know people close to me so you know dad my brother um and what's an example like what would you say to them um well i think firstly i I did go to them and say that you know i've got these debts i have been gambling but i didn't recognize it as the problem as to to what the extent it was but um just that hadn't been paid um or pay was behind and and you know um, needed to borrow some or lost my wallet you know mm. just stupid like, like mate that's the fourth time yeah. this week <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that's why eventually you just start going i'd start going to different people mm. um just anyone anyone that i felt could lend me 50 bucks 100 bucks because that's all i felt that i needed just to get going yeah, yeah. And, and build it yeah yeah uh-huh and so how long did that sort of behavior go on for oh up and down for like i can say now 10 years were you working uh yeah yeah so yeah. working um so after i guess i had believed that i couldn't make the afl system which was only at the age of 18 19 um then had to start thinking well what am i going to do for work mm. and got a sales job um working earning decent money um but yeah, any any time that I, I started gambling more, my my time spent on being productive at work just completely diminished. Yeah, and yeah. such a distraction as oh, well. Huge. Yeah. So by this time you're into the the phone. Yeah. Betting. Yeah. Which so, you know having a TAB in your pocket is mm, a problem if mm. you're into that because it's always there and there's always something to bet on. And that's the thing about especially Australia. It's just insane yeah. how much there is to gamble on at any moment anything and it's it's evolved so much and it's yeah it, it is scary to think about how easy it is to access right now and um yeah it evolved for me because i i used to view the tab like i, I hated going to the tab i only went because that was the only place i could actually go yeah it's a pretty dirty sort of a yeah place to hang yeah. out I, I i would look at i would look at the older guys in the tab making a generalization and and just think of them as so low and pathetic. Yeah. yeah I'm doing the same thing as them. Um, so, yeah, I, I actually despised going there. So as soon as I could get on my phone or my laptop and, and do it in complete privacy, poof, I was hooked. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we're, how much was it paying you back or what happened money-wise with wins along the way? Yeah. Or I, there times you remember where, you know, you had a big peak and you're like, all right, this is it. And then fucked it up again or not really no <laughs> i i had i had systems in my head like I've, I've i've been like i'm very um very logical in a sense which mm. is crazy to think about how much logic i put into to this but i had strategies where i would start with 50 and i would i would bet on something that was a dollar two live that was about to finish and i would keep rolling it and yeah. compounding it and i had these theories that i was going to make two million dollars in or 100 bets or 200 bets or whatever it worked out to be mm. I would, you know, fuck up after bet three or four because I would start to try and get confidence, accumulate ahead. quicker. Yeah, and then I would just, go, oh no, I, I got away from my my um, strategy. I, yeah. I broke away from it, so I'd make excuses about why I was losing. But it's betting on things like there's a chance you're going to lose. The good <laughs> chance, yeah. So. Yeah, I just got. I just had so much belief that I could be a millionaire from this. Like, mm. but in in back to the question, in you know the the wins. There was what was the reality of that though? <sighs> the problem is like it's. You can say I think people who never gambled will say like, oh, you know, you never win. Why would you do it? Mm. But well, that's largely true. The fact is, every gambler knows you can win, mm. and that you're only ever one win away from 
it potentially being life-changing or changing your situation mm. if you got that thought in your head it's very hard to get away from that if you never won then it would be all good mm. because you, you would know that you're never going to win but yeah if you have some experience with that you know well uh, actually it is possible and then that can be like mm. a little worm in your brain yeah i think there's a couple of couple of points to that and one is Back then, I thought it was about the money. I thought it was about trying to get the, you know, the the riches and the, the fancy car and the house and all of that. Mm. I thought that that's what it was about. Looking back now and understanding through the work that I've done on myself and my own journey, I understand that I wasn't betting to make money because it doesn't matter how much I won; it would have Put continued. It, it the it just would have continued. the The reason I was betting is because I was trying to escape reality. And it's like any addiction. We're doing it because we're escaping reality. It, it started, as we said, with the environment that I was in and I was betting because other people around me were betting, but I'm still using that as an excuse. I then dove into it because I wanted to get myself out of a stressful environment that I may have been in that day. And that was my way to escape reality. How did you justify it to yourself in your head through oh. those years? Or what would that voice in your head say? Oh man, so many things. And like, it was a constant cycle. It was a, a cycle between hating myself for for letting people down around me, for letting myself down. Um, but then to escape that pain, to escape that reality, and to escape that hurt and guilt that I had. And to maybe instantly fix it. And Yeah, to, to instantly try to fix that. It was, let's go and gamble again. You know, let's put in that other 50 bucks so it was only the points where i didn't have access to anything that it actually came to me that well i can't continue to do this i need to go talk to someone and get some help hmm. but you're a smart guy and i think that's another thing that's hard for people to understand if they never had any experience with it which is why would smart people get into this when they know the odds and mm. that in the end you're going to lose why would you continue to do it how do you answer that I think that comes back to what are you escaping? Like it doesn't matter whether it's gambling, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's scrolling through social media. We're doing that to escape reality. Hmm. It's just that we've attached to that particular behavior as a, as a way to numb our pain. It's all the same part of the brain. You can maybe prioritize or have a, um, a taste for one or two of those vices and then that might change you might stop with one pick up another one instead mm. because once you've sort of woken that up whether you're totally conscious of it or not there's something inside you that demon wants to be fed mm. somehow it's the same beast wearing different clothes 100 percent, 100 percent. and you don't realize that in the moment and that's why it can be hard for people to understand gambling but I can always almost relate it to another relate it to something else that they're doing too much of that's affecting their life so it can be difficult to to justify or to to allow people to understand why in particular you would go to gambling when you know the odds aren't in your favor Mm. but but it's like answering those other questions like why would you do drugs when it's potentially dangerous it's like well because i got high off it i can have it instantly yeah gives me a rush and leaves me feeling empty afterwards and yeah. you go through all of those they all have that same thing but there's something innately human in us that uh looks for that mm. adrenaline and i don't think anyone sets out trying to be addicted to anything mm-hmm. it just they will get their hooks into you for sure yeah. yeah but especially gambling um and i guess alcohol is another good example because it's acceptable mm. to a degree it's everywhere you know, but, yeah. like the advertising is insane mm. on TV and you just can't go anywhere without seeing it. You can't watch any sport game without it being on the court or on the mm. field or having halftime, like, you know, which reinforces to people this is this is what you should be doing or mm. it's all right or it's not an issue. And we're not saying that any, everyone who has a punt has an issue, mm. you know, because that's, that's not the case either. But... We're not saying everyone who has a drink has an issue either, mm. but these things are in our culture, in our face, and saying like this is a an Aussie thing to do. It's all good, mm. and some of the other ones, you know, at least they're 
a lot more frowned upon so mm. perhaps people aren't feeling like, especially young people you know seeing dad have a punt and your brother has a punt every time you're watching the game and talking about the multi you've got and you're like 15 16 mm. you'll be doing it too yeah for sure and and that brings me to i guess a, a moment where where i had where i shared with my brother and my dad when they they couldn't understand it my dad and my brother have a punt and as far as i know completely no problem there but we had a discussion one day where um, it was it was brought up to me like I was I was getting triggered at the time whenever it was getting told. So I shared with them, you know, to support me, it'd be great if you didn't talk about gambling or what you're betting on in front of me. And not long after, Dad did just you know wasn't aware of it, but did it. And I brought that up to my brother when I was having a coffee with him, and his his reaction to me at that point was well you've got to get used to it because it is everywhere and i'm completely understanding and aware of that but my response was well let's consider i was addicted to heroin would you talk about heroin and heroin use in front of me and his response was is well it's completely different mm -hmm. and and that's where for me there's a lot of and this is like my brother and my dad they only know what they know so you know the tools that they've got are the tools that they've got but this is where it comes back to education in society around you know if someone's if that's someone's way of support by not talking about it understand that but also we've got to understand how big a problem as you mentioned like gambling advertising is everywhere you can't watch sport without seeing odds or without a, a celebrity giving you advice essentially on what you should bet on so it's extremely difficult for people to break away I mean, from one of habit. the bookies is the official partner of the afl yeah like you know which is these are our organizations that young men in particular look to for for guidance and leadership mm. and those uh, organizations are saying yeah we not only think this is all right we mm. fully endorse it we raise the question why is there so much um like why why are you still continuing with that relationship with that agency and the response was well there's so much money until there's a major problem why would we uh, cut them mm. so it's the hard thing is is to determine how much of a problem problem gambling is mm. and then yeah it's a hard argument to make to say that it should be stopped mm. as well because again you can go to alcohol and say well uh alcohol does a lot of damage mm. also brings in a lot of money mm. are we going to stop doing that mm. you know and does someone who has a problem with gambling have the same problem with alcohol and how do you argue one's worse than the other it's yeah. a tough one you know we can we can have our own uh, opinion but also see that it's a lot more complicated than yeah. than that as well. Yeah, definitely. So what was the thought, what was the catch that sort of you keep coming back to? You know, when you felt really bad or you just lost a lot of money again mm -hmm. and you're feeling at your worst, what was it that would get you back into it? Just, yeah, just the, the thought of being able to, to be free. Like I, I genuinely thought that by winning it would escape my problems and yeah. my problems was debt. My problems were poor relationships. Um, yeah. You know, I, I thought that by winning, I'd be able to pay off the debt. I'd be able to repay the people that had, had lent me money and, and escape that guilt. And you thought that for 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So how far down did that lead you? Um, oh, deep, like, I I maxed out um, like and, and we can talk financially and you know when I've spoken to other um, problem gamblers it's you know generally it's the first thing is financial but man I realize now like I was I was maybe 60 70 grand in debt but money comes and goes money's an energy like mm. for me I was at the point where I wanted to take my own life because I hated myself yeah like that's <laughs> That, that was multiple times i just i hated myself because i just kept fucking up and i, I couldn't couldn't be the person i wanted to be hmm. you know, it was just it's like it, it seems it seems so hard to 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 really feel like that now because of you know the work that i've done to repair and, and remove the negative emotions attached to how i felt but yeah multiple times of just well not multiple times like the thoughts were there every day about like the fuck am i doing like who am i like i hate myself mm. but you felt powerless to pull away from it mm. yeah how do you describe like the addiction did you see it as 
a monster or something that was following you or you know did you think of it in that way yeah i just felt i felt controlled like yeah. I, I felt that i had zero control of i just felt powerless powerless and out of control and anytime i would you know i could sit there and say not going to gamble today not going to gamble today like i'm focusing on what i'm going to do um mm. there was so much focus on stopping instead of focusing on what i could control you know so there was just so much energy put into stopping gambling that the gambling would just end up coming back mm. yeah which again is the same for so many addictions where it becomes just so hard not to do it mm. maybe not that you even or you certainly don't want to do it past a certain point but the reality of stopping it is so hard mm. that yeah it sounds like you're saying it was just of yeah. course it was it was just easier yeah but then that brings with it a sense of giving up and, mm. and hopelessness and like i'm not strong enough to beat this yeah so did you feel like you had given in at, at certain yeah, stages definitely because i felt that i had tried everything i didn't have the tools at the time but i felt that i had tried everything i'd you know i'd, I'd opened up everyone says you know, when you're struggling open up to the people around you so when yeah. i did that um went back to gambling i then went to counseling tried that stopped for a bit went back to gambling i then went to a psychologist did that went back to gambling went to group therapy um you know gamblers anonymous help for bits went back to gambling so by that point i'm just mm. thinking well i've tried everything i i can't stop yeah like this must be who i am now it became my identity a hundred percent hundred percent did you have intimate relationships during that time oh, very little um and and when they were it was it was so intense that it was just destined to fail right like short-lived um yeah, high intensity, um, just destined to fail because it mm. was just not for coming from a healthy place. I got into intimate relationships where I was desperate for support, desperate for financial support, mm. um, desperate for a house to stay in, you know. So I was going into them completely unhealed, so unhealthy mm. that when they didn't work out, it um, like it, it hurt, but looking now it was always going to yeah, happen it was always going to happen and it probably just reinforced that self-loathing that you knew to be true sort of like yeah. a uh, self-fulfilling yeah prophecy sort of a deal definitely did it mess with your sex drive yeah it did definitely because like i was i was super sad a lot of the time now like i was miserable a lot and that, and that's where like for for a little bit of this uh, spiral that's when you know the anxiety started to come in um around sexual performance it would come in around you know, the phone would ring and I would think it was someone chasing me for money so I just mm. couldn't even pick up the phone but like I, I got super depressed and I was at a point where the sadness was there constantly um, unless I was with someone I could put on a smile but when I was by myself I was just miserable mm. miserable yeah and did you have any other uh, healthy elements to your life at the time like were you working out were you taking care of yourself whatsoever or did it get to you know things were falling down so badly in one department that you were like whatever and you just let it all slide because you were depressed i feel i've, I've always had a, a pretty resilient side to me so you know after self-loathing for a bit i would bounce back i'd get back into the gym i'd get exercise up like i was still playing footy a lot throughout this period yeah um so yeah i'd still be focusing on that i still had friendships like i've always had a lot of friends but there was just no depth to a to mm. a lot of them um because I, I couldn't allow myself to do it because i deep down i just hated myself yeah yeah and you didn't want to admit to that because mm. you were sort of afraid of what would what would happen or yeah maybe afraid of who you truly had become and yeah. wanting to lie to yourself yeah for sure yeah um how easy was it for you to hide so pretty easy yeah like i i don't know how i don't know how well part one i don't know how people didn't realize but surely they did is part two because you know i've i've known um, people struggling with certain problems over the years and haven't known what to say mm. so i'm sure there's been people that have noticed my behaviors and haven't known how to approach how to support how to help so yeah i feel it was pretty easy to hide um because it 
can be pretty easy to just put on a smile and, and deal with someone for a few minutes and, and take off. Like most of my jobs that I've ever been in, I've never been in like an office environment. So I've been pretty autonomous, been able to work from home. Mm. Very easy to hide um, yeah. when you're doing it like It's that. not like a substance where people can see it in your behavior and on your face that yeah. you're, you're on something or, yeah. you know, I think that's part of the, the most insidious thing about it mm. is that it is so easy to, yeah. to hide from and people. With the friendships as well, because I wasn't, seeing them regularly they couldn't notice either and, and be able to you know pick it up or, or pull me up on it either mm. when you reflect how long did it own you for before you accepted that it did hmm like i i recognized the problem at the age of yes yeah, 17 um i admitted to the problem not long after um i would say it owned me from that point um through to the through to the point where I started being able to actually have the tools to to move on from it. How did you come to be diagnosed with BPD? Um, I would say through my own desire to get a diagnosis. So I was I was desperate because at this point I'd I'd been sharing my story of struggle mm. with people all around the country. Like I'd spoken in big businesses around my struggle in the hope to inspire others. When I started to Were feel... Were you still gambling then? Still gambling, you, yeah. yeah, yeah, still gambling. So uh, I was still gambling. I was still feeling shit. Like mm-hmm. I was still at a real low point. I'd have higher points. But when I, when I started to feel better and when I would have a speaking gig, I would then... I couldn't connect. I couldn't relate back to my struggle. So it's almost like that identity, that was my identity now. So I needed to struggle. I needed to have some disorder in mm. order to make my story credible. Right, because otherwise you felt like you would have imposter syndrome. Yeah. But obviously not true because yeah. once you've had it or once you've had an experience, doesn't mean you need to continue to for, yeah. for, for what you have to say to be worth that, something. That's it. Like I was looking at other advocates and being inspired by them in the mental health field, but they they were still living the struggle. So that's what I thought I needed to do. I thought that I needed to still have suicidal thoughts in order to be real. You know, I, I needed to have something. So yeah. I went through, it was probably an 18-month process of first you know i'd been to the 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 gp a long time before this but from the process where i was really looking for a disorder Mm -hmm. i was looking for a diagnosis and it was thrown around that it could be bipolar it could be borderline it could be this could be that i looked up on online and looked at the um the list of um symptoms and i was like that's me that's me that's me i could attach myself to anything that i wanted to believe that Mm -hmm. i had so to the point where I got the a diagnosis. I was like, "Yep, sweet. Now I've got this. Now I can manage this disorder." Yeah. Okay. And but that one, it is actually legitimate that you do have that, or I don't believe now. No, no. I believe that I was showing symptoms, but it's everything's a choice. Yeah. And this is where, throughout my journey, it's a, it's, it's hard because to try and tell my older self that i'm choosing the way that i act in every single choice and it's coming from a belief system Mm. that would have triggered the hell out of me yeah and it would have told myself now to fuck off yeah so in order to cope you needed to think about it in a certain way yeah so the the reason i believed i had borderline is because i was um like anger was one rage was one so whenever i was triggered i was acting out of anger and rage and it was my way to be able to emotionally isolate so Mm. with my partner for example if she said anything that triggered me i would just vent and like fucking get angry and yell Mm. to the point where it would allow me to escape because she just wouldn't want to be around me so it allowed me to to isolate so that was one of the, the main reasons that I thought that I, I had that. But I don't do that now because I've done the work to go back and release anger mm. so that I don't act out of that way. Because mm. that comes from a place of, of that self-loathing and that pain. And if you're able to let that go, then you're just not going to have the motivation to be angry. Yeah. Or that's not how you're going to conduct yeah. yourself. It was, it was a big... I, I felt very inadequate. 
Mm. So whenever I was challenged, I would feel that inadequacy and my way to protect that is to just do whatever I could to get that person off my back. Yeah, and make the other person the problem Yeah, because you don't want to face yourself. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever hurt anyone when you were going through that? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, emotionally, I, I wouldn't know how many people I've hurt. And, you know, that that's part of um, one of the, the reasons it's so hard to be able to heal yourself because you, you do get a lot of guilt about the people that you have hurt. And there'd be heaps. There would be so many people that I've emotionally hurt. But... Um, yeah, like my, my partner now is like the strength that she's got to be able to continue to support me because it like we, we haven't been all rosy. Like mm. we haven't been strong and, and I haven't been well our entire relationship, but I've been able to get well because I've got the love from her. Um, but yeah, like early on, like I was, I was really hurting her, like huge. And that would make me feel so shit by, by how I was acting and, and what I was doing. Mm yeah mm. and so what about earning trust back it's it's hard it, it is hard um because i mean whatever relationship it is whether it's intimate or, or friendships or family whatever mm-hmm. it is there's three parts to it for me it's you them and the the middle ground which is the relationship so you know i it, it's it can be harder it can be easy to let go or to to try to move on from what you've done and apologize and accept that it's happened and move on but if that other person isn't ready to do that Mm. then it's hard yeah do you Um, lose some relationships over this yeah definitely yeah definitely and you know i look back at i look back at my family and i look back at um you know friends that i had years and years ago like I'm a completely different person now. Mm. I've grown and, and healed so much that they, don't, they wouldn't see me the same. So it's even in those relationships, they would still question, well, is this the real Luke? Is yeah. this the real him? Because that's not what I'm used to. So mm. yeah, there's been relationships that I'd, I truly um, cherish that aren't really existent anymore because of what I've done. Um but the, yeah, I, like I'm at, I'm at peace with what I have done, even though I've done a lot of shit that's hurt people. But in order to do that, I need to focus on what I can control mm. and create those new. Yeah, new well, you've had beliefs. to, you've had to accept it. Yeah, and no matter how bad it was, have you been able to heal some of those relationships and get them back? I have. There, there's still more that I would like to. Um, it does take a lot of work, obviously, to, to do that. But yeah, I have. And and that comes from being able to be, I guess, genuine now. Whereas when I was when I was fucked up, like it was it was hard to be genuine because I didn't even believe myself. I didn't yeah. believe the words I was saying. Mm. You know, so yeah. So how the hell did you actually pull yourself out of this when nothing worked for so long? For me, well, there's been a couple of things. I mean, having having the love and support of my partner has been huge. Um, without it, it probably wouldn't have, first of all, given me the belief that someone can love me whole. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's easier to love the me that's, you know, inspiring and passionate and motivated. Yeah. But it, it can be really difficult to love the other side. Mm. Um, so seeing that was was probably a really good step in in the right direction for me to to be able to feel love and it also brought up for me that i struggled with intimacy that i i struggled to truly connect and i had barriers there so for me the the big changes and and the reason i got into to what i do is because i saw the transformation within myself so neurotransformation therapy for me is by far the biggest healer of anything that you can possibly do so Mm. for me it was able to identify significant events in my life which one i'm not consciously going to be able to remember this but subconsciously while i was in the womb my mother and father were angry like fighting with each other non-stop and they got a divorce when i was only a newborn so for me i had fear attached but i'm not consciously going to be able to remember that but doing neurotransformation therapy allowed me to release that fear. It allowed me to release any sadness and anger from all of the events all the way. It can come from past generations. 
But for me, it was able to, those significant events, release those negative emotions, release any negative um, beliefs or limiting beliefs that I had, like I can't be intimate. You know, as soon as that's released from a subconscious level, because it's consciously I can go, oh yeah, I can be intimate, I can be intimate, I can be intimate, and I can look at myself in the mirror and do positive affirmations. Mm. But if that doesn't get through to my subconscious, I'm still going to believe that I can't be intimate. So that's the work that's required. The second part is actually just taking the action. And and then the third part for me was, um, yeah, being able to, to retrain that subconscious mind in the beliefs that I, I really want to, to believe in. Um, so did someone do this with you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had um, a coach that did this. Like, oh, I, I went on a journey for ages. I was, you know, into meditation, mindfulness. Um, I've... I've you know done breath work courses and um a lot of different things helped heal certain parts but that was by far the the biggest transformation yep and you tried everything to that point as well i felt that i had yeah whether it was just i wasn't ready to change properly Mm. um whether i was committed to the change um Mm. Yeah, everything's timing as well. And different things work for different people too. Correct. What happened to the actual compulsion? Because when it gets as far along as it was, uh, like you said, feeling powerless and out of control, mm. you know, it's just happening. As you were making these other changes and doing this therapy, what happened to the actual compulsive aspect of the gambling? Did that fall away suddenly or gradually? Or how did that work? The, the gambling, I'd say it kind of started to dissolve before so i'd as i said i'd been to to group therapy which at that time served me in the point where i was able to reflect on it um so i was able to bring up past memories and at that point it was serving it was also helpful to be around people that were relatable and not judging so for me that helped i i had large periods of time off of gambling but i would end up having lapses where you know, for a few days, I'd, I'd have a binge. And this was happening. I might have a year off um, and, and then it would happen. But and was that still a problem then? Uh, mentally, was it a problem? Mentally, it was a problem in the sense that I just still felt that I didn't have the full control. Yeah, so you felt like massive guilt from yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And I just just still felt a bit helpless from it. But mm. like now, now I just don't have... I don't have the anger towards the actions i don't have the guilt towards the actions and for me like i I can say like i don't want to gamble like i may if i'm get triggered and i'm in a bad place again but i just i don't have the same feeling and thoughts and i just i don't i don't care for it yeah I feel I have control now. So, so all those burners of those negative energies that were feeding into that behavior have been switched off and then yeah. it's extinguished the the drive to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. So how long did that take overall, do you reckon? Oh, Cause it sounds like you had a lot to work through. <laughs> There's a fair bit. And, it, and it's it's forever. Like I'm not a... Yeah, yeah no one's... Yeah, exactly. No, no one's ever healed or cured from this stuff. Yeah. And that's not to say that it's hopeless and you'll never be fully all right or able, able to live a completely uh, fulfilled and rich life, which sounds mm. like you're living now. You know, we've got almost a five, five-month-old daughter. Um, me and my partner are, are healthy. We, we have conflict, but we resolve it better now. Yeah, because you know, you're not an asshole. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, like, yeah, it's so different. Like, she'll, she'll still get pissed off with me because I'm you know i'm you <laughs> fucking lazy around the house but that's a limiting belief you yeah. know I'd, it's it's just stuff like that but i won't get triggered where i unload all my shit onto yeah. her now so you don't hate yourself anymore. that's healthy i've got meaningful relationships all around me so there's there's certainly hope for people that feel that they're at the absolute bottom there's 100 percent hope mm. for me it's it is just a, a constant journey of being able to to grow and evolve and that comes from being able to to live a bit more consciously. Yeah. I mean, I was I was living from when I was born through to oh, a couple of years ago. I was living completely unconscious and on complete autopilot to my behaviours that were ingrained from certain beliefs and and events and emotions. So, to be able to just become more conscious of 
what you're doing, why you're doing it, that's when you can start to, to really change behaviors. Yeah, and what that's causing. So yeah. you're just talking about self-awareness and having to take a really good look at yourself and try to understand yourself on a deeper level because it was a matter of life and death. Mm. And I guess after that sort of an experience, it feels like you're living in a different world or you can't see things like you used to before because you yeah. sort of, your eyes are open. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's, the, it's the perception and then mm. that's all it is. And we just project the, what's inside of us. And one of the things I, I learned uh, while I was um, being coached and, and I try to pass on as much as possible is it's a choice out of love or fear. And we, we pick up fear throughout our life. We get conditioned from you know, the age of, well, as soon as we're born, we get conditioned. And, and a lot of what we project is our own fear, whether it's fear of what other people think, whether it's fear of rejection, whether it's a bunch of fears. We're acting out of that. So yeah. whenever I catch myself doing something that I think, oh, I shouldn't have done that, I just ask myself, am I acting out of fear or am I acting out of love? Yeah. And I just consciously try to choose love as much as I can. Yeah. Try to choose kindness as much as I can. Try to choose gratitude as much as I can. Yeah, there's something else to add to that that I heard recently, which is similar, but asking yourself if you're acting out of gap or gain so you, are you acting because you feel like you're missing something in your life and you're mm. trying to get something you don't have or are you acting because you already have it and you're appreciating what you do have mm. and are, which way are you living you're spending most of your time chasing stuff or most of your time feeling grateful for what you've got yeah and it's sometimes hard to be honest with yourself you've got negative behaviors that are leading to negative actions and making you feel bad often you can trace it back and say well i've been trying to get something i don't have mm rather than just chilling out and appreciating what I do have and what I can control. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think we're just wired, especially in our, in our world, uh, when it comes to material things or just anything that would make our life seemingly easier mm. or be a rush. And our little monkey brains, they want to go towards it. And it's quite, yeah. it can be hard to, well, recondition your entire brain to think differently and even then as evolved as you are now you you also know that it, it's still there hmm. and, yeah. that, and when things happen in your life and they they will because it happens to all of us and you find yourself you know feeling angry or having a whole lot of things going wrong you're going to still have to watch yourself and not go back to that because you're never fully free of it you might be yeah. fully living your life and maybe live to the rest of your life and it's all sweet but still it's always going to be there yeah it, that's constant check-ins i think as well and and understanding yeah that different events will come up that that do create that anger sadness fear hurt or guilt you know that and and it's there's justifiable anger like if someone went and abducted my baby i'm gonna be pretty angry <laughs> yeah you know? yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah it's not yeah. to say that i'm yeah. never gonna feel it ever again no. but but it's being conscious of how you're feeling yeah and why and 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 recognizing when it's unjustifiable so yeah. when you're acting out of anger or when the when you're really sad about something that not necessarily you shouldn't but it's understanding what the the behavioral patterns are that are that are making you feel like that so it's the the whole cause and effect and it's being at cause and being responsible for every one of your actions mm, instead and of gives you the others. control back yeah yeah which is what you never had before where you do feel powerless or like you don't know what's gonna happen next or you, that you're just reacting all the time it's because yeah. you're, you're not conscious and breaking it down and thinking about why these patterns keep repeating yeah yeah uh so how do you describe the man you are now in this rendition of Luke McLean? Yeah, it's like I love it. Like I can actually say I love myself. And man, like I, it, it was so hard to think about that previous. But I just, I just love the version that I am. Like I, I see myself as a you know a great role model and a great leader, and that goes you know through to my stepson and my my daughter, um, right through my friendship circles and and through the you know the people that I help with my coaching. It's being a good role model and, and a leader, and and that's what drives me because I know a lot of people are in pain and you know the the world lives in fear you know you have to look at the past 18 months to see how much fear there is in the world and mm. 
you know, once we can, once we can change that fear to, to lead with love and, and that's where I see myself. Like I, you know, I had a conversation with a guy the other day and he's uh, in a similar field and you know, he felt bad about saying that he was a light worker. And, you know, I, I do feel like that now. I feel that I've been, I've been able to access these tools that can create massive transformation and I, I love it. And, you know, I love that I can, you know, just, just chill and 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 be you know zen at times and then I, I i love that i can flick into you know just almost beast mode and be super passionate about creating change and yeah you know, I, I i never had that balance before um but i just love being able to have that balance between you know chill out family time and and then fuck it let's go change the world yeah that's cool why are you thankful that everything unfolded the way it has it's just taught me all the lessons like it it's it's easy to in the moment of pain to to attach yourself to so many negatives it's so easy to do that but looking back it's been able to allow me to take the positive learnings and and if you look at every event that's happened no matter how traumatic it is if you take the positive learnings from it that's what's going to help you grow and for me that's like I'm I'm thankful I've been through it because without it i just live a just a life of nothing like there's no meaning if there's there's no pain so you've got to you've almost got to experience that pain in order to be able to appreciate the other side of it so and what have you been able to do for some other people's lives oh huge like i've had people that you know sort of come to me and they've got might be an issue with drinking for example and they you know they've gone away thinking that they'll just stop drinking but then they've attached themselves to weed or they've attached themselves to coke yeah, or whatever it is same thing same thing yeah, yeah. As, as earlier and to be able to just make them feel free so so many men in particular just feel lost they they haven't really scratched the surface of like gone past surface level as to why they're feeling the way that they feel so in order to like get real deep to the the root cause of those negative emotions for most men is like that's life-changing in itself Mm. but then to like remove those and just allow them to feel completely free like it's oh man it gives me the best feeling like it's so gratifying to be able to help men feel that Mm. it's just yeah it's crazy and how does that feel a space that you know clinical expertise doesn't yeah well i think it i think the neurotransformation therapy is something that will become more of the norm i believe because like so psychology for example is very much though focusing on conscious thought so neuro is focusing very much on subconscious so and as we said before, something will, you know, everything work, well, not everything, but some things will work differently for others and you benefit from different things. But a lot of guys I've worked with have, have done a lot of psychology and they, they understand the trigger. They understand the behaviors that they're doing, but they can't change it. Mm. And it, it needs to come from a place. And, and, you know, PTSD is one of the, the biggest examples. It's probably the best example to explain this. So you've got a hugely traumatic experience that you've then got a lot of anger, sadness, fear, guilt, or hurt towards. Mm. Your mind is going to protect you from feeling that again. So it will do whatever it can to deflect you from feeling that intense emotion. So when you try to get someone with PTSD to, I want to say get someone with PTSD, but when you try to get them to go back to the event it's too traumatic. They're not going to get anywhere near it. So they that event might happen when you're three, but they might get to an event that they fear one of those emotions or all of those emotions when they're like 20. You mm. know, like they're not going to go back any deeper because it gets too painful. So using timeline therapy and, and accessing the subconscious, you can go back to that event, feel no emotion from it. You learn the positive learnings from it and then you apply that subconsciously. It's a, such a quick process. It, it goes through all of those events in your life and you just come out of it thinking, I have no anger, I have no sadness, I have no... And you can remove that so that people are just feeling completely free. So mm-hmm. it's a completely different form of therapy than standard talk therapy with psychology or um, counselling. Um, very, very different, but yeah, very rewarding once you can you can access it. And what would you say to people who hear your addiction story and are going hard 
especially with gambling, but if it's, if it's anything, and uh, hearing it and thinking that voice in their head saying, yeah, but that won't be me. Mm. Everyone's journey is different, and for some people, they can stop you know, super quick. Some people, it takes a long time. You know, it's just just keep keep the hope. As long as there's hope, there's a way. And keep trying things like, you know, neuro transformation therapy will work for people. Psychology will work for people. Just keep trying and keep the hope. Because, well, it's, it's really thinking about if your life doesn't change in 10 years' time, you know, what's the negative consequences of that? And for a gambler, there's fucking plenty. Mm. But what's the positive consequences of trying to change because if you're committed to change and you've got a strong desire to change it will change eventually it might happen soon it might happen in a long time but if you're committed as long as you're committed and you've got that hope you will change yeah and i think you really embody that so beautifully because you've obviously been right down to the bottom of the barrel and gotten Mm. to points multiple times where you wouldn't have even have entertained that you could stay alive much longer let alone become someone who helps other people change their lives you know it's crazy and it's really happened in a matter of a few years yeah which is just incredible for you to think back and no wonder you see yourself as as two different people and other people do as well but the thing is it's all it's all real it's all legit this is actually who you have become now and it is possible and you you demonstrate that and it sort of emanates out out of you in a chilled yet wise uh compassionate sort of a vibe that i'm very glad we've got here and it's so important that people men like you especially are able to show show men that that example first of all and then and then help them to uh, follow their own journeys man so yeah, yeah amazing story thanks no, for appreciate sharing that, it thanks that's it for this episode if you're getting some value out of the show please help us out with a quick rate and review on apple podcasts all our podcasts are recorded in video so follow young blood men's health matters on instagram and facebook and subscribe to our youtube channel young blood media to get the full picture and please leave us a comment if anything resonates we love hearing from you you're more than welcome to join our inner circle by signing up for our e-news through our website youngbloodmedia.com.au and most importantly please share this podcast with anyone in your life who might need it we're all about reaching as many people as we can a special thank you to our sponsors and our local business supporters who back the work we're doing we're all in this together and we need all the help we can get until next time this is young blood thanks for being part of the mission